you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. somebody else but of course you know you have to be the center of the attention because it's a selfie right so go ahead get out your phone I'm going to do it again this morning I did last week so why not let's do it again it's just a little opportunity for you to um, smile for the camera all right you can post that online if you'd like I know everybody wants to see it Philippians chapter 2, you have your Bible, say amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. But if there, but if therefore be there, <laughs> if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to take a little while this morning to talk to you about the selfie solution. And today I am going to address some issues that I feel is pertinent to the church, to the world in which we live, and maybe to everyone. Before I get into the word of the Lord this morning, why don't we just take a moment and let's ask God to make our hearts pliable so that the word of God can have its effect in our heart. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we love you this morning. 
Lord, I pray for the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the quickening of your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray against every distraction. Lord, I pray for there to be clarity of thought and process this morning. Lord, that your word could come forth and reach into every heart and every life. God, I pray that all of our lives are pliable to what you are wanting to do and allow the word, oh God, mixed with your spirit this morning to do a work in every heart and every life. We thank you for it to give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time this morning. Come on, lift your voice with that hand clap and let's magnify Jesus. Lord, you're worthy to be praised. I magnify your name this morning. You're worthy, oh God. I bless your name, oh Lord. None like you, Jesus. There's none like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Today, I'm going to address what is being termed as the selfie epidemic. How many of you have read about the selfie epidemic? Any of you? None of you? I don't see a couple of you. Well, of course you have, Annette. You did all my research. Just kidding. Today, I want to address the selfie epidemic that is plaguing the world. We're going to talk a little bit about it. We're going to see how that parallels into our life. And we're going to talk about how it is moving aggressively even into the church world and how it is affecting both young and old. Many sociologists believe that the world is facing what is called a selfie epidemic. This was first written about back in 2017, so this isn't something that is new, but it's continued on the increase. Previous generations, they say, traveled across the world to see beauty and find solitude found in certain sites or adventures. But today, people are traveling around the world just for the opportunity to take a selfie. The whole goal of the trip, the journey, the money spent is just simply to have a picture. Why, they ask? So it can be posted to social media. It can be edited. It can be posted at the right time so that it would increase the number of followers, the number of clicks, the likes, the shares. And they call it an epidemic because it is increasing at such a rapid rate because now TikTokers and those who are creating reels for profit are finding a great deal of financial increase by the number of followers from sports fanatics to leadership gurus and people from every genre and background in life are finding ways to turn their selfies into cash. It has become such an epidemic that now they are saying people are literally dying trying to get the perfect selfie. Some of the TikTokers now, and the youth would be probably easier to come, for them to come and talk. They may even know some of these by name. I hope not. But these that are doing all sorts of stunts on social media, they're getting beat up, broken, even dying, all to try to get the views and reviews. It's no longer about the experiences in life, but it's about putting ourselves in the picture and waiting to see what the response of the world is going to be. So I ask myself, why is it, why do people like selfies? What is it about self, the selfie in of itself? What is it, what is it about selfies that people like and enjoy so very much? And we're going to dig deep this morning. I hope that in my digging deep that God even prods our hearts, but I hope that you don't take anything so personal this morning that you become offended at the messenger because I'm just bringing the message today. Why do people like selfies so much? It's because we love to focus on ourselves, they say. We love to focus on ourselves, and in this generation, nothing is more important than our own self 
image. It's the birthplace of selfie, self-image. It is creating for ourselves, even in a fantasy world, the ideals that we could imagine in our mind the way we would like for people to view us, whether it is a reality or not. We put ourselves in settings and crop out all of the distractions and make it look like it's exactly the way the world would want to see it. At the core of the selfie epidemic, sociologists say, is the undeniable self-absorption of narcissism. Now that's not a word we speak about from the pulpit too often, is it? Narcissism, it's become a buzzword in the last few years. It's buzzing around in psychology today and sociology is looking into it and everybody's looking and of course it, it becomes the slam for you're a narcissist, I'm not. See, look at my picture. Narcissism is now catching on and it's on the rise and it's so closely related to the whole selfie epidemic, self-absorption. Kanye's, Kim's, Donald's and Dolly's. Narcissism is all around us. And research shows that it's not going anywhere anytime soon. As a matter of fact, it is on the rise. From entertainment to education to political campaigns to music videos to you name it, everyday life on your cell phone. Narcissism is prevalent. In a recent independent survey of American culture over the past 40 years, Every generation has claimed that they are above average. Watch this and listen closely. If you miss this, you'll miss the whole point that I'm talking about, or the reason that I'm, I've chosen this topic this morning. Every generation over the last 40 years have claimed that their generation is above average in every way to the generation prior to them. Making the generation prior to them almost unuseful from their appearance to their leadership skills to their academic achievements and their problem-solving techniques every generation seems to believe that they are advanced to the generation prior to them listen more than 80 percent believe they are far superior to the generation that are before them. Is everybody okay this morning? Did I come in too hard, too quick here? Did I need to back out and tell some jokes and juggle? You're in trouble. In fact, the evidence shows that each generation increasingly has more education than the generation before but it also reveals that every generation is functioning at lower levels in many area of life than their predecessors. Isn't that a strange finding? What they believe and the reality are two different things. Because reality is being obscured by the almighty selfie. It's all about image. It's about being too image conscious. It's about being more concerned about what people think than the reality of what we are. Researchers say on the whole that every generation is simply growing more narcissistic than the previous generation. That is, according to the research, that they score higher on the Narcissistic Personality Inventory Survey. Today, everywhere you look, everything is more focused on self than at any other time in history. I'll put you to the challenge. Trace Adkins, 
says, I keep singing till the whole world is singing songs about me and who I am. Toby Keith says, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, and what I see. I like talking about you usually, but today I want to talk about this narcissistic song thing isn't new. Let's back up Ronnie Millsap saying, there ain't no getting over me. How did I know the tune to that? My generation. New York bestsellers now have titles with phrases like self-love, marvelous me, what I like about me. Then there's the elephant in the room, and that is social media. Selfies, filters, and Photoshop. Listen, I know people that post, their profile picture looks nothing like them. I mean, they're ugly. But they find enough filters and do enough cropping and overlay enough images that somehow or another they come out with something that looks like, oh my, I remember them being substantially different than that. Don't even look like their self, but they still claim it and call it their selfie. Listen, all this self-love hasn't led to greater happiness either. A recent report found that the selfie generation is more depressed and more anxious than any previous generation. One sociologist claimed that it may be because They are internally aware that their reality doesn't match their trending viral video. For generations, people would visit national parks to have certain experiences. And now they visit for the the perfect photo op so that they can rush it onto social media. People... They say, uh, they they just read an article that was written by a writer that studies national parks. And they said people are literally dying from two things that is dying at a higher rate in our national parks than any time in history. Listen, one of our very large and renowned national parks went five years without any death. And now they average five deaths per year. And they're from two things. The warnings are everywhere. It is from unnecessary falls and from animal attacks. The signs are up. Don't go near the bison. But with videos rolling, There are those that are so desperate for the selfie that they get down up in close proximity of the bison. And before long, disaster strikes. The national parks literally put up fences now to keep people away, to keep them off the edges of the cliffs with signs posted everywhere, yet they're jumping over the fences to climb out on the edges so that they can get the better video than their counterparts so that they can brag about the experience. They rush it on social media, and then they sit back and wait to see how many people like it and share it, and by chance that it could go viral. 
in their own words, in the words that I use today, it appears to be a selfie epidemic. Sociologist says this, America has a narcissism problem. This was a conclusion of a recent study published in the Journal of Psychological Science in which researchers polled just under 3,000 Americans across 50 states and found that many of them have an outsized and inaccurate view, I quote, of the importance of self. Now we make the turn. A narcissist defined is someone with a deep need for validation. The need of validation of self. Someone who thinks they're great and represents anyone who doesn't recognize or resents anyone who doesn't recognize their greatness. They have an inflated sense of self or an inflated ego. And it almost always leads to destruction. Let's look a little deeper into this before we take the turn of application this morning. And I'm going to do my best to not be too long today, but I want to make my point and make it clear. Let's take a look at this word that I'm throwing around this morning called narcissism. And let's look at the word and where it came from and, and where its foundational ideals came from. Narcissism came from perhaps a Greek mythological story, and it was from there that it was birthed, and the idea of the reality of narcissism that faces mankind became known to us. There was a man named Narcissus. Narcissus, who was known for his handsome good looks. According to the best known version of the story, Narcissus saw his image in a pool and fell in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. I know none of you are, know anybody like that. None, none of you young ladies know any guys like that. <laughs> fell in love with his own reflection as he walks by the pool of water. Tragically, he would go by every day and particularly go out of his way to walk by the pool so, again, he could catch another glimpse of his own reflection in the pool. Every day he fell deeper in love with his own self-image, not recognizing that it was an image of self, but recognizing that he could see the image of someone more beautiful than anyone that he had ever seen in his lifetime, it would be so. Tragically, not recognizing and realizing the dangers awaiting in his self-love, entranced by his own image, one day, Narcissus decided that he would take the plunge. He wanted to embrace the man in the mirror. He wanted to see what that man was all about. He plunged into the pool in an attempt to brace the beautiful image, forgetting that he did not know how to swim. He took the plunge. The character of Narcissus is the origin of the term narcissism. Narcissus drowned because of his own reflection. Unfortunately, for many of us who get caught up in our own self don't understand that the intoxication of self will lead us down a path of destruction and we are not truly capable of dealing with self alone. The only real antidote for self is to get self under control. To put self under the blood, to let self die at the foot of the cross. To recognize that I am not the most important thing 
about my own life, God is. Narcissus was so caught up in the moment of self-reflection that he tragically the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Rome and he talks to them about this whole idea and he says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God that you present your body. Don't wait for the preacher to do it. Don't wait for the youth pastor to do it. Don't wait for the hyphen director to do it. Don't wait for somebody else to come sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I don't know a scripture that fits what I'm talking about this morning any better than Romans chapter 12 because the Lord, I believe, is calling the modern day church in, as we approach the beginning, the end of 23 and the beginning of 24 that every one of us need to come to the foot of the cross and present our bodies a living sacrifice. It's no longer a about self, but it is about Him. And be not conformed to the things the world is doing, but be transformed. Have there, let there be a transformation of the mind that you may prove what is that, not that selfie, but prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace of God that is given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think, Romans 12 verse 3, if you don't have it up, you can put it up, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What does that sound like? Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? know who I am? Do you know how educated, how smart, how wealthy? Do you know all of my successes? Do you know how many followers? Do you know how many people share my posts? Do you know, do you know who I am? A man, the, 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 the writer says, ought not think any higher of himself than he should, but he should think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. I go on this morning in Scripture to bring another Scripture to bring this into formation so that we can somehow see where I'm coming from in this scriptural, in this scriptural package that I am delivering to you this morning. The same writer, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Here's what he says, casting down imaginations. The very word imagination begins with a root word, even in its original. What is the root word of imagination? Image. Casting down imaginations. Casting down your image and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity, bring under subjection every thought to the obedience of Christ. Am I in the Word this morning? I'll try to preach a little application to you. A few days ago, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was driving over to Park County, Covered Bridge area. I was driving alone that morning I was going hunting, actually, and as I was driving over, in a very unusual way, I felt the Lord begin to speak to me. The Lord began to drop some thoughts into my mind that were far too, far too brilliant for my normal thoughts, and so I knew it was God speaking directly to me, and so God began to download some thoughts and ideas, and I began to think through, and 
and the process began and I knew that I needed to probably either pull over or at least send my phone to notes and put it on voice note so I could so I could take some notes and as I drove the Lord was just downloading some things into my spirit and he started talking to me about self-reflection and self-awareness and how that these can be great qualities and and they should be present in our everyday thought all of us how many of you know that you're thankful this morning that your neighbor that is sitting close to you in front of you behind you beside you that your neighbor was self-aware enough this morning before they came to church that that you know maybe they took a shower and used deodorant anybody with me this morning I'm thankful for self-awareness. How about you? And so, and so, self-reflection and self-awareness are good things. We reflect on how we responded, what we said, how we acted. Self-awareness, being aware of the, the things around me and how it affects others. And so these are very good things that can be great qualities. And I believe that, self, that self-awareness and self-reflection actually should be part of of everyday life. So there should be a little part of that all the time present with us. We ought to be thinking about uh, how what I am doing, uh, how does this affect others? If if you are negatively impacting others and you're always just going around saying sorry, 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 but you don't ever change anything, you're not sorry. Right? So what proves what proves uh, is that when, when there is actually a change made so that you no longer have to do that. And so, um, so in, in, in being self-aware, in knowing how what I say, how I act, what I do, all of these things, uh, how it affects other people. And, and these are great qualities. And, and of course, being, uh, having self-reflection, knowing what I said and how I responded and, and what I may need to adjust in the future so that maybe I respond differently and and this and all of the reflection the self reflection and the, these are good however this is what the lord kind of spoke to me that morning as i was driving overindulgence if you're taking notes here's your line this is maybe the only line you get out of this whole message this morning overindulgence in anything that begins with self can have a polar opposite effect than good. So the moment that our that we overindulge in self-awareness or overindulge in self-reflection or overindulge in anything that is connected to self, there is a polar opposite on the other hand that creates something that is that is terrible in our lives does that make sense I want you to wake up your neighbor right now I recognize I think I'm losing my crowd right about now so it can lead us this polar opposite can lead us down the path of self-destruction okay so too much attention on self and we become self-absorbed. Too much attention on self and we become self-centered. And so we could go, I could go through a thesaurus this morning and just spend the next hour just using self-words. But for every positive thing about a self-focus, overindulgence in that leads to a negative. So that's why it is so very important that we live in a balance. That there's self-reflection without overindulgence and self-reflection and then all of a sudden we become overly self-aware to where it begins to hinder us. When we become too self-focused, we will begin to be driven 
by selfish ambitions. Watch this. Now, if you miss this, you miss the whole purpose of this message this morning. Anytime that we become too self, whatever the next word is, anytime we become too self-focused, then we are opening the door to be driven by selfish ambitions. Sometimes it's the desire to change something about us that we don't like, and so we become self-focused on a specific area. But if we overindulge. So there are multiple scriptures that deal with selfish ambition, but none of these are any more direct than James chapter 3, verse number 16, and I'm going to share it in the English Standard Version, and if you can put it on the screen for me, I would appreciate it this morning. In the, in the uh, ESV, I, uh, in the English Standard Version, because it just says it so clear, anytime that we deal with selfish ambition, we must be concerned. Watch this, James chapter 3, verse number 16 in the ESV. Here's what it says. For where? I want you to read it out loud with me. Are you ready? It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me now. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. Anybody reading with me? There will be disorder and every vile practice. Woo! That's heavy. Anytime that jealousy and selfish ambition. See, this is where the over, so being self-motivated, that's a good thing, right? Anybody in here self-motivated? Anybody in here alive? Anybody got a pulse? Anybody self-motivated? Anybody self-driven? Right? Good thing, right? But overindulge in being self-motivated, it can become, you, you can develop selfish ambitions. Caring about yourself and what you do and where you go, getting your education, accomplishing things in life, getting a good job, getting ahead, these are all good, but they must be kept in balance. Otherwise, what happens is the the polar opposite happens, and now all of a sudden we fall in love with the man with the reflection in the pool. Are you with me? We fall in love with the reflection in the pool, and so now we go by and visit every day, but we start lingering by the pool because there is an image in the pool that we like, and it is called self. But the Lord didn't leave us here because we can go all the way back in the beginning of Scripture and start seeing when God began to lay out a pattern, He knew man's heart. He even says in His Word, who can even know his own heart but God? God can know a man's heart. And so in doing so, in making a man making his way to the foot of, of the cross and the man making his way into the, into the holy of holies and a man making his way into the throne room of God, here is how it happened. He entered into the tabernacle and in doing so he had to make his way by an altar. But one of the first places he had to go far before the time that he ever got into the holy of holies, far before the time that he ever offered incense he had to go to the labor of water let's talk about what the labor of water is all about the later labor of water ladies and gentlemen was simply a small reflection pool it was made of glass or mirrors and in that would have been a small bowl that held water and when one looks into the water they would see the reflection of themselves that's the whole purpose of the labor of water and the Lord said before you get to the things that are holy you got to make your way by the labor of water and you've got to look in and when you look in and you see yourself 
Don't fall in love with yourself. But know this much. Uh, what I see is wretched, lost, and undone without the master. I need to get into the holy place. Uh, I can't fall in love with my reflection. But instead, I've got to die out to myself. And I die out to myself at the altar. Oh, somebody give God praise right now. Because if you fall in love at the labor, if you fall in love with the, with, with the image that you see, you will not crucify the flesh. But the Lord sent this preacher this morning to shout out into this congregation and say, we've got to die out to the flesh that the Spirit may live. It's the only way the Spirit can live is we have to die out to the flesh. So how do we check ourselves and not live in a state of selfish ambition? I believe the writer said it right. He said, I die daily. Well, pastor, what am I supposed to do? Tell everybody I'm a terrible individual? No, you just die daily. Nothing wrong with being pretty. Nothing wrong with being good looking. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with being educated. It's that get yourself an education, then die to it. Take care of yourself and look pretty and die to it. Don't fall in love with the man in the mirror. We must crucify the flesh. Crucifixion is not accidental death. Crucifixion is intentional. Oh my God, have mercy. Crucifixion means I get up today and decide I'm taking myself to the cross. I'm taking myself to the foot of Jesus and I'm going to stay there until I nail my hands and my feet. I'm going to stay there until this old body dies out because I can't fall in love with who I am, fall in love with my achievements, fall in love with my accomplishments. I must crucify this flesh so that he can live because it's not me that lives, but it's Christ that liveth within me. Young lady, if there's any beauty, it's going to come through your holiness when you look like his image. Young men, you want to be strong and mighty and powerful and have authority. It's only going to come when you die out to your flesh and let him live through you and let the authority be from him. The Apostle Paul was brilliant. He was well known. He was educated. Imagine the damage that the Apostle Paul could have done to the early church if he were, would have resorted back to the Saul lifestyle. Imagine the damage that he could have done if he would have gone back there and began to relive that old life. But something inside of him told him, I can't allow that man So it's not I, but it is Christ that lives. He had to die daily. The answer to the selfie epidemic in the church is for us to turn away from our self-focus. Turn away from the focus on me and who I am and what I have and what I know and what I can say and what I can add. But there must be a turn away from all of these things and a genuine focus on others. A genuine focus toward the lost. We need, CLC, listen to me this morning. We need a greater hunger for revival than we do for self-promotion. I 
I woke up the other morning startled when the Lord began to, to just shudder his words to me as I woke up and I got out of bed and started walking and I was trying to figure out I was almost in a sense of confusion as the Lord began. Three times it happened to me in, a, in the order of about two weeks where the Lord began to thunder out of heaven into my spirit and began to talk to me and every one of them turned in one direction. Turn away from self. Turn toward others. Turn away from self. Turn toward God. And then finally he just asked me the words, what is the value of a soul? What is the value of a soul? What is the value of a soul? And I couldn't get away from it. And I walked around all day saying, what is the value of a soul? When the followers of Jesus came to Thessalonica, it was said of them, these are they which turned their worlds upside down. I won't be much longer here. Although it was meant for evil, it was a compliment with divine consequences because many of us longed that it might be said of us and not for selfish reasons. Some of us really do want to reach the lost and not so people can say they are reaching the lost. There's a lot of folks in this room that want to do the will of God. There's a lot of folks in this room that hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's some folks in this room that are believing for revival as much as your pastor's believing for revival in 24. I'm telling you, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against the church of the living God. And there is a revival on the horizon and it's going to come to pass. In these last days, I'm believing that God is going to open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing that we are unable to hold. There is a revival coming to CLC and to North Central Indiana, and we are going to be part of it. I'm ready for it to be said of us. These are they that turn their world upside down. When we walk into the park next August, I pray that people come by and say, this is the church that turns its world upside down. In the early and mid-1900s, Pioneer Pentecostal churches were having revivals and it was closing down dance halls and bar rooms and liquor stores because their customers were being born again. And they got they, they didn't stop drinking, they just started drinking new wine. They didn't stop dancing, they just changed partners. And they showed up to church instead of the instead of the bar room and they began to close. How about now? Here we are in 2024, right around the corner. What if in 2024 they said, hey, they we, we, we don't know, but the dance halls can't survive and the liquor stores can't survive because there's a revival that's happening down at that church. Woo. I believe once again it's time for it to be said of us, these are they that are turning their world upside down. But I'm going to tell you, God begins a changing a man's heart long before he ever changes a nation. And as long as we're focused on ourself, it will never happen unless we are turned in a change toward others. Moses was turned aside in the wilderness to meet God before God sent him to change his world. Before the world of the Mediterranean region could ever be changed, Saul of Tarshish had to be changed. The whole Mediterranean region was turned upside down after Saul met God, but God first had to change his name, and then he changed his nation. Moses, when he met God, took off his shoes and turned aside for a divine encounter with God. It wasn't until then that God would use Moses to change his world. Saul, when the Lord spoke to him, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That is the prayer. It's no longer about me. If we feed the poor, let's not do it for the selfish. If we pray for the sick, we're not doing it for the image of look what I did and who I laid hands on. Our world and our times need men like Moses and Paul who have had an encounter with God and are willing to turn aside from their personal agendas so that they can make a difference in their world. I wish that God 
would interrupt some of our lives as we are racing, racing with the rest of the world to gain the perfect image of self, to portray it to the world so they can look on us and see that God will begin by changing our hearts. Changed individuals produce changed churches. Help me, God, get over the image I'm trying to portray to others. Let me just be open to stand before your presence and see my reflection as you see me. As I look into that labor of water and recognize I need washed by your word. I need cleansed by your spirit. I'll never be enough on my own. I'll never accomplish enough on my own. I'll never do enough on my own. We need him. A church, a youth group, a ministry, a person that faces inward, whose focus is on themselves, will never be found effectively changing the world. Not until we no longer care who gets the credit no longer care whose name may be called. As long as Israel remained in Egypt, it couldn't affect its world mission. And as long as the church remained in Jerusalem, it would never have won the world. What I'm saying to you this morning is there must be a turning from oneself and a turning toward others. When the church spread beyond Jerusalem, there were first changed men, and then there were changed cities, and then there were changed countries, and then there were changed nations. It is a process. Let me tell you where it all starts. It all starts at the labor of water. It all starts with us coming and bowing ourselves before him and saying, Lord, let me see my image the way you see my image. Let me see who I am, and let me bow. Stand with me all over the room today, if you would. A church that is turned inside out is a church that no longer focuses on self, but begins to focus outward. No longer about me, it's just about the mission getting accomplished. Jesus said it like this, he said, my house is full, but my fields It seems like we live in a day that everybody wants to focus on self. Everybody misses the fact that the real treasure of serving God is found in the harvest field. I close this morning. When you look at others, what is it that you see? When you look at that one that walks into this church for the first time, what do you see? Do you see the faults and the failures and the weaknesses and all the places that they need to be better? Or do you see a blank canvas that God can paint on the walls of their heart that He can take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that He can regenerate and make new? A lot of what we see in others says a lot about what we see in ourselves. So here we are this morning. I open these altars to the church this morning. If you're a guest with us, I invite you to come and join as well because this is soul-searching time. This is the time where this morning we come and bow ourselves before that labor of water. And we say, God, let me look into that labor of water. Let me see my reflection the way I really am, not through filters. Not, not, not through the lens of all the likes and shares, but let me look at myself the way that you see me. And let me die out to who I have been so that I can live the way you want me to live. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room. Nobody's looking around. I open these altars to make it as easy as possible for those that want to walk to the front of this room this morning. God's calling and speaking to them.
come to the altar. Come this morning not worrying and reflecting on others, but come looking into the mirror of God's Word, saying, God, let me see myself the way that I need to see myself today. Let me die out to my will that your purpose and your plan may live. God bless these that are here. There's still room. Join us here in the front this morning as we seek God. Come on, let's seek Him for a little while. Just turn this place into a prayer room. If you're in a hurry and you need to go, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Come back again this evening at 6 o'clock. Let's just turn this house into a prayer room this morning. Everybody's seeking God for just a few moments. Jesus, you're the center. Oh, yes.
Would you lift your hands all across the building right now, God? Would you help us to make it all about you? It's not about us today, God. Come on, pray that prayer right now. God, it's not about me. But it's all about you today, God. Would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together and thank Pastor for preaching his heart to us so marvelously today?